We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. All right, we're going to finish off the book of Haggai this week. So it's the third to last book in the Old Testament. Uh, It's only two chapters. We spent, this will be our fourth week in it. And so just as you're turning there, we'll be picking up in chapter two, reading the last four verses, verses 20 through 23. And as you're turning there, just quick recap of what it is we're jumping into, all right? Uh, This is a time it overlaps with the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, if you're familiar with that. It's a time when they're coming the Israelites are coming out of captivity from Babylon. Uh, the, the Persian Empire has now taken over, and they've said, hey, you can go back to your home in Jerusalem. That's fine by us. Like, just know we're still in control, right? You can rebuild your temple. That's fine by us, just as long as you keep paying taxes to us, right? And so they let them go back, and only about 50,000 of them go back. A lot of them stay in Babylon because they've built careers there and lives there. And they go, no, we're good here, right? And so some of them come back and they start rebuilding the temple. And then they come in some opposition. Some of the Samaritans who were living there are like, oh, no, no, we were building our own life here. Now you're coming in and, and taking over our spot. And so they complain to the Persian Empire and there's some like complications there. And so they just give up. The Israelites give up on building the temple again. And so this is around the year 520 B.C., there's some historical dates mentioned in the book of Haggai, so we know, like, oh, these are things that happened, and they line up with other historical documents, right? So this, this is a factual, historical thing. Uh, and so the word of Haggai is God comes to this guy, Haggai. He's a regular person, but God speaks through him. He gives him a message to go and tell the people. And that's what a prophet is. That's all a prophet is, is a person who comes and shares God's word with other people. This is what God has said. And so he says, God says, why are you just building your own homes, but you're not rebuilding the temple? Because the temple is a place where God's presence and his glory was so that he could be near his people. And it was a place where they could make sacrifices so that they could made, be made right to come into God's presence. And so he, he comes in and he says, hey, we need to start rebuilding the temple. This is what God says. And so they start doing it. And then he encourages them because they go, this temple doesn't look as good as the old temple. Like, we're doing our best, but this is, and God goes, that's okay. It's not about what's on the outside and how it looks. My glory will fill the temple, and it'll actually be even more glorious than the last one. And we talked about the way that that actually happened was because Jesus himself walked in that temple many, many years later. And so the actual glory of God filled that temple in the flesh. Right? And then uh, as they're building it, God also comes to them and he goes, hey, I, I know that you feel like you are unclean. You came out of Babylon. You were worshiping those other gods there. And some of you are still practicing that, by the way. But listen, I am going to make you clean and I will bless my people again. So that's where we're at right now. We're going to close this off. God gives one more fourth word to the people through this man, Haggai. And so in Haggai, verse 20, We hear this, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. 
On that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration. And make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. This is God's word. Father, we ask that you would help us to receive and understand and be transformed and renewed by your word today in the power of your spirit. To the glory of the Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So yesterday morning, I met Scott at Deer Valley Airport. How many of you have flown before? Kids, adults, been in an airplane? All right. You work for an airline? Yeah. Uh, so you know, like, what, what I'm about to share with you, a lot of you have experienced that, especially if you sat in a window seat before, right? So I met Scott at the airport. Uh, Scott, if you don't know, he has his pilot's license, and he actually built his own airplane. So he has invited me several times to join him on going for a flight on this airplane he's built. And I was like, wait, you built it? But after knowing Scott for enough time now and seeing lots of other things he's built and fixed and things like that, I have complete confidence. So I was like, all right, yeah, let's do this. So showed up, met him at the airport in the morning yesterday, and he took me on this flight over the Verde River. And it was amazing. I took a little video of some of that so you can see what we saw. So this is us flying over the Verde River. There's a dam right there. It's beautiful, isn't it? Sorry if I'm giving you motion sickness right here. But I was trying to capture everything. Uh, and then just so you know that this was actual footage of us, there we are. A little selfie of the two of us, two bald white men on a plane together. And it looks like I'm actually doing something, like I belong there with that headset on, right? But I don't know anything of what's going on in that plane. I'm, I'm so thankful that Scott knows how all those controls work. At one point, he was like, hey, do you want to take the control? Do you want to fly for a little bit? And so for literally 10 seconds, maybe less, I was like, okay, I'm good now. That was enough. <laughs> you take over. Like, that's all I needed. Now I can officially say I did it, right? So that was us. I took a couple other pictures. This is uh, just some farmland right there. And it's amazing to me, and again, those of you who've had window seats before on a plane, you've seen stuff like this where it's like, man, it's like carved out very intentional land right there, right? But then like you get to zoom out and you see there's so much more of the earth beyond that. But like when you're standing in that field, you don't necessarily see that, do you? Uh, the next one is like housing development stuff, right? And so you see this, like you could, people could live their whole lives in this housing development and never go outside of it, right? Uh, maybe lots of kids play on like one street and for their whole childhood, like don't see much outside of that. But then you just, from the air, you can see like there's this cutoff line right there. And then there's just like all kinds of extra earth and land and space out there. And you start to see how things work together more clearly, right? Like you see like how some of these roads are connected. And so like, how do people from here get to people over here through all that like wild and wasteland there, right? And you see these roads from the sky and you see like water channels and you see canals and things like that. And so from the perspective of a 30,000 foot view, which we weren't that high, but uh, from that perspective, you just see how everything works a lot better. But when you're down here on the ground and you're in the midst of it, you don't necessarily see it all, do you? And so in the same way, we could read this book of Haggai 
two chapters. And like probably what I just read right now sounded really confusing to a lot of us, right? Names like Zerubbabel and Shealtiel. And what does it mean when he says, I will, I will make you like my signet ring? Like, what is that? Like, we don't, we aren't in that little square mile of their world thousands of years ago on the other side of the earth, right? But when we get to zoom out and we actually see that what we just read has deep connections to the whole story of the Bible. It has deep connections to the way God has been at work in all of his world. Then we start to see a little bit bigger of a picture and we actually see we become connected to this story too. And so I wanna zoom out a little bit and give us a little bit more of a picture of what we just read, okay? And we're gonna start doing that by jumping to another part in scripture in Jeremiah chapter 22. Patrick, I think we have that on the screen here. Jeremiah chapter 22. Again, if we just take this alone, you're gonna be like, what's going on, right? But remember, like we're looking at a a little block, a little neighborhood right here. And then we'll zoom out and we'll see how they're connected, okay? And so God spoke at another time through uh, this man named Jeremiah, another prophet. So this actually happened before. So Haggai was a prophet who spoke to the people who came out of captivity in Babylon. About 70 or so years earlier, Jeremiah was a prophet who spoke to God's people about how they were about to go become slaves in Babylon, okay? And he had some very specific words for the king at that time, a king named Jerahoachin. Try saying that, Jerahoachin. Good job, good job. You did better than I did. Okay, Uh, he also, his name can be translated to Jeconiah, Jeconiah, right? What that name means is the Lord will establish you. The Lord will set you up and he will give you strength, right? The Lord will establish you. Well, he's speaking to this man right here and you're gonna see he gets a little nickname here, okay? And so let's just read this. Jeremiah 22, 24 and 25. As I live, this is the Lord's declaration. Though you, Coniah, son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would tear you from it. This is God's words. In fact, I will hand you over to those you dread, who intend to take your life, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who gave birth to you into another land where neither of you were born, and there you will both die. They will never return to the land they long to return to. Is this man, Coniah, a despised shattered pot, a jar no one wants? Why are he and his descendants hurled out and cast into a land they have not known? Earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Record this man as childless, a man who will not be successful in his lifetime. None of his descendants will succeed in sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. So this man, Jeroconiah, whose name meant the Lord will establish. When God speaks to him in this moment, he calls him Coniah. What does he do? He takes off the first part where God's name is there. He removes his name from him. He takes away the Jehovah part of Jehoachin. 
And he just goes, oh, you've been living in a way where you are completely dependent on you, where you think you have the strength and the might of the kingdom on your own where you think, oh, I'm the king of Judah, so I could do whatever I want. And you've been leading the people away from worshiping God. So God says, you don't get to bear my name anymore. You're just Coniah now. That's where he gets that name change. And it's not, listen, God didn't just decide that. He had been living that way and choosing that for himself to live apart from the God who had put him in that position of being king in the first place. And so he, he says, all right, if that's what you want, I'll hand you over to those things. He's already worshiping the gods of Babylon. So he goes, okay, Babylon's going to come in and take control over you. And you'll see what it's like to live as a slave to Babylon and their gods. So he removes his name from him. And he says in that, I would rip off my signet ring from Coniah. Now, what does that mean? Signet ring was a ring that kings would wear or royalty would wear or people of high status would wear and it would have like their family crest on it. So it has like a little symbol that represents their family and their authority. And what they would do is they would seal things with it, like important documents to help people know this comes from me and my authority or it comes from my family. So they would get some melted wax and they would dip their ring in it and then they would press it onto the document they wanted to seal. And so when someone received that, they saw, oh, this is Jeconiah's seal. Like this comes directly from the king, right? Well, what God's saying is, I, you once had my seal. Like you were representing me, Coniah, to the whole kingdom of Israel and to the whole world. I gave you a position where you could go around and you could make decisions as my, what, what did we say to Sean earlier? My ambassador, my representative. And as you moved through this world, you were reflecting what I'm like to the rest of the world. I'm taking that back, God says. You no longer get to bear my authority. You no longer get to bear my image and represent me to the rest of the world. And he says this in such a permanent way, doesn't he? not only to Coniah, but he says, none of your children will ever sit on that throne and rule in Judah again. None of your descendants, none of your offspring ever. Now here's why this matters. Because when we got to the book of Haggai, we're introduced to a man named Zerubbabel, whose main, his name means drawn out of Babylon. Like he's the king or would have been, who got to bring the Israelites back into the promised land and out of captivity in Babylon, except Persia is still in control. And so instead of being named a king, he's just a governor. The guy who's in charge of Persia, he's like, yeah, yeah, you can rule over your own little people, but know that I really rule over you, Right? It's like when parents leave a kid in, in charge when they leave the house for a moment. They're like, okay, you're, you're in charge. Like, listen to your older sibling. But like, if the parent comes back and that sibling wielded their power in a bad way, right? That would happen to me all the time. My oldest brother was put in charge and like the power went to his head, right? And so dad would come back and we're like, Michael was like, he was hitting us and he sent us to our room. He can't do that, can he? We're like, okay, like you, you wielded your power in the wrong way. <laughs> so 
That's kind of what happened there. He was like, you're, you're not really the king, Zerubbabel, but he's who should have been king. So God's, God's word, though, was true. He would not sit on the throne and rule as king in Judah because of what his grandfather had done. Coniah was his grandfather. So that signet ring had been ripped off. But, and here's where God's grace comes in. Here's where even though humans have been failing over and over again, even though the people that God set apart to say, you're going to be my representatives to the rest of the world, completely abuse that power and that right, God still continues in his purpose, his plan, and in his blessing to the people. And so he says to Zerubbabel, listen to this, and it says over and over again, this is the declaration of the Lord, right? In verse 23, on that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies, I will take you, Zerubbabel, the one I brought out of Babylon, son of Shealtiel, who was the son of Coniah, my servant, this is the Lord's declaration. That's like his signet ring. You know, Haggai keeps saying that over and over again, that signet ring of God. This is, you can trust, this comes from the Lord. He says, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. He just reversed the curse that was put on Coniah, his grandfather. He reversed that. He ripped the signet ring off of Kaniah's hand, but he says, Zerubbabel, I will make you actually like a signet ring. He doesn't put the signet ring on him. He actually goes one further. I'm going to make you like the signet ring. I'm going to make you something that is a display to people of what I'm doing. Something that when, when people see your name, when they hear about Zerubbabel, they will know that the Lord has actually done what he said he's going to do. And you know what's fascinating about that is when you get into the New Testament, we get two genealogies of Jesus. Do you guys know what a genealogy is, kids? It's this really fun, exciting thing you read in the Bible. (laughs) And -and so-and-so was the son of so-and-so who was the son of so-and-so, and and it just goes on forever. it, It can be boring. But Jesus, we're told in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke, we're given two genealogies. One is the family tree of Jesus through Joseph. That's in Matthew. And the other one in the book of Luke is Jesus's family tree through his mother, Mary. And you know who's mentioned in both of those? Where it intersects? King David, and then later, Zerubbabel. Those two guys. That out of the line of David came Zerubbabel. That was who God initially promised, I'm going to build my kingdom through this king, right? But he died and he wasn't perfect and he wasn't faithful. And then there were some really bad ones in his family line after that, including Coniah. And it seems like at Coniah, God rips that away. And he goes, oh man, Like, what about his promise to build a kingdom through this line? And God goes, don't worry. Even though none of his direct descendants will sit on that throne, I will continue to do what I promised through this line. So you have like this 
beautiful promise that God goes, I, I just reversed the curse. Zerubbabel now is going to be like my signet ring. But you still have this problem because he said, none of those descendants will sit on the throne. And so when you get to Jesus's genealogy, you see in a way he does come through that line. King David, Zerubbabel, but it's not fully his genealogy because Joseph's not his biological father, is he? See, God was supposed to be king over Israel. And they were supposed to be representatives showing the rest of the nations what he's like. But when they said, no, 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 we want a human king like the other nations, then God gave in a little bit. He goes, okay, let, let's see how this works out for you, right? And so they got King Saul and then King David. But God was still supposed to be the one in control. He was still supposed to be the true king over the king. Like Persia's king was over Governor Zerubbabel. God was supposed to be Yahweh over King David, over King Solomon, over all the kings in that line. And the people, they went astray from that. And so what does God do? He says, I will take this promise I made to David and now to Zerubbabel, and I will be true to it. But none of your descendants have been faithful enough to sit on my throne. And so God himself enters into the genealogy. God himself enters into that family tree, into that lineage, born by the Spirit. And as Bethany mentioned earlier, this is our Pentecost Sunday. It's a day that the church all over the world remembers the Spirit given to the church, the followers of Jesus. Well, that Spirit is who Jesus was born into this world by. And so now you have the true God, the true King over all things, who made himself a regular human in that line of Zerubbabel and David, in order to fulfill his own promises, and in order to finally have a human king who could be faithful and good and righteous enough to sit on that throne. And even when he comes, instead of going and sitting on the throne right away, what does he do? He gets hung on a cross. He gets buried in a tomb. This king shows up completely different than all the other kings. All the other kings took power for themselves. And this king, Jesus, gave his power over. He laid his own life down for the sake of the world. And I think that's why also we see in this passage that we read that God not only promises, hey, I'm going to make Zerubbabel like a signet ring to prove that I am going to stay true to my word. But he also says this, that he is going to shake, in verse 21, shake the heavens and the earth, overturn royal thrones, and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. Remember, Gentile just means nations. That's all that word means. And so what he's saying is all the kingdoms of the nations, of the people, the governments that they've established for themselves, I will shake and destroy all of those. I will do away with all of those because the true king, God, is coming and he will one day sit on the throne. And so Jesus didn't stop at being put in a tomb. He rose out of that tomb by the power of the Spirit on the third day. And now he has ascended to be with the Father, and he sits on that throne eternally. But do you know what happened in between that? Let's, let's skip forward in our story again. Let's take that plane ride and get a 30,000-foot view for a second. 
And let's jump to Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews quotes what we just read in Haggai 2 about shaking the heavens and the earth. And so it says this, uh, his voice shook the earth at that time. What he's talking about is that God, at the time that he pulled Moses up to the mountain, uh, that it, there was an earthquake. They felt it and they were fearful, right? And so he's saying, yeah, at that time he shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, and so that's a quote from Haggai 2 right there. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken. That is created things. Haggai says it like this, the kingdoms of the nations. They'll all be shaken and removed. So that, Hebrews continues, what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, which kingdom is that? The kingdom of God, the one that Jesus sits on the throne of, right? Let us be thankful. By it, may we serve God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Now that's cool, but what is the shaking that we're talking about here, right? I think uh, a lot of times when God speaks through a prophet, when you get prophecies in the Bible, it's usually twofold or sometimes multi-layered. It's like something that's about to take place, but it's pointing you to something that will take place in more fullness later as well. And one day when Jesus returns from his place in heaven by the Father, what he's doing is he's reuniting heaven and earth. And all the things that are not of God's kingdom will be shaken and done away with at that point. And what will remain is God's kingdom and his presence here with all those who have said, yes, Jesus is king. But he gave us a little glimpse, a little preview of what that's gonna be like. And we see it actually when Jesus first seemingly lays down his kingly authority at the cross in Matthew. Patrick, can you throw Matthew up on the screen for us? And we'll end with this, guys, don't worry. In Matthew 27, this is when Jesus is being put to death, when he's being murdered. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. That word can be translated to as his breath. He was, he was dead. All the breath had left his lungs. Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary that's inside of the temple that was rebuilt, that we're hearing about in Haggai, that Zerubbabel and uh, Jeshua and all those guys, they had rebuilt, right? Suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary that would separate people from getting too close to the glory of God was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. Jump down real quick. I want, to, I want us to see something here. When the centurion, that's a Roman soldier there who was overseeing the death of Jesus, he's standing by. When the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earth quake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly this man was the son of God. You see from that bigger view there, the God who shook the mountain when Israel came, when Moses came up and they got the law. The God who promised in Haggai, I'm going to do it again. That God showed up in the flesh, the only one who truly could sit on the throne. And his death, his life being taken at the hands of humanity who were supposed to worship him and bow down to him, 
caused the earth to shake again. But that same God, he, he rose from that tomb and he is coming back and it will be shaken again. And so we've been giving ourselves some practical, personal questions as we've gone through Haggai. The first week was, hey, what is it that you're building in your life? God's calling you to build into his kingdom, but are you building a home for yourself instead? The second week was, maybe you are trying to build, but it just doesn't seem like it's working. It doesn't seem extravagant, right? Like their second temple didn't seem as nice as the first one. And the question was, then was like, hey, are you looking at the outward appearance, how things are received from other people, the accolades and accomplishments, or are you looking at the glory of God present in your life? The third week, we had this question because they were worried, man, we're unclean. Our hands shouldn't be building this temple. And God said, no, 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 listen, I will make you clean. I will bless the work of your hands. That question we had for ourselves was like, do we feel like we're not good enough to enter into the work of God, maybe from things we've done in the past or things we're currently caught up in? And it was this reminder, God is the one who makes us clean. And so now on this fourth week, as we close out Haggai, what I want us to see is that the God who made promises in the beginning of building this kingdom has fully come through. And one day when Jesus returns to fully sit on his throne, the question will be, are you living in a kingdom that will be shaken and done away with? Are you living in a human kingdom? Is your hope in the kingdom of the nation you live in or the kingdom of your political party or the kingdom that you're building around with your job and your house and your car? Is your, is your kingdom one of those that could be done away when the heavens and the earth shake? Or are you submitting yourself to King Jesus? saying this is the true king, the only one who can sit on the throne. He's the only one worthy to. And I want to be in his kingdom so that when he returns, you get to dwell in his kingdom with him forever. And that's really kind of a, a summary of the story of the Bible. It's the story that we live in in this world, that there are a lot of false kingdoms out there being built, but none of those will last. And Jesus is inviting you to come and continually give yourself over to him, to submit to him as king, to bow down to him, and to be invited to live into his kingdom. And listen, he's a really good king. He's the king who doesn't come and wield his power for control over you. He's the king who comes and gives his life over for your sake. So it doesn't have to be scary to bow to him, to submit to him. It's where you actually will find life and you will find that you get to live fully into who you were meant to be. Amen? Let's pray.